Good morning. Good to see you today. Thank you for being here. One more announcement, update, information, whatever you want to call it that I want to add to that. It was about nine months ago, a little over nine months ago, the first Sunday in December that the elders gave you kind of the first financial update that I remember in a long, long time for the church. Um, and at that time, we told you that based on current giving rates, you know, we had been reopened for eight or nine months at that point, that based on just average monthly giving at that point, that we had about five to seven months of reserves left um, if we continue to give in that trend. And I just want to let you know that this is nine months later, you know, after that five to seven months, this is nine months later, and just the way that God has provided through you, us, unexpected means, um, that this is a morning that the elders want to say thank you to you and thank you to God for just the unexpected things that he's done. So nine months ago, we said, hey, five to seven months based on these rates. Nine months later, I had Lisa kind of help me run numbers this past week. Average giving for the past nine months has been such that when we look at what we've got in reserves and what we've been giving, we've probably got 12 months of reserves that would last based on where we are now. So that's, a, that's just a good thing for us, um, and I'm really thankful, and I do want to say thank you to you. I hope that encourages you. Now, our giving, our monthly giving at this point is probably about 14% short of our monthly need, so that's how, how the gap is closed. It hadn't closed all the way, and I don't, you know, I don't want to say, yeah, we know where we're going a year from now. Like, we've got it all figured out. We don't have it all figured out, um, but it's really encouraging. It's good news. God has given us what I would just call the gift of time, more time to figure out next steps. We have made progress in all the conversations with the insurance company. Um, we're hopeful that maybe in the next month or so we'll get some good information that we can share with you. We've been hopeful about that before, <laughs> so you can pray that this is the time when that actually happens, and as soon as we've got something solid, we can tell you we'd be really happy to tell you more, but be praying. Um, it's moved from one section to the other, and there's this independent person now who's working on stuff, and if we can get some stuff back from him, then we may be in a place where we say, this is what we're actually looking at with that, and then that'll give us some more clear direction, and so we're just asking God to keep showing us a step at a time, and most of all, that we would know in the middle of all that what he wants us to do as his church, that we wouldn't just assume, hey, this is what we've always done or this is what we think it should be and this is how we're going to do it, but that he would be leading us and that we would be sensitive to, there may be new things he wants to do in us, through us, new ways he wants us to make disciples, and we want to be open to that. But I did want to just give you the update that just through your faithfulness and your generosity, through the grace of God, uh, and moving in people's hearts, that that's where we are right now. And it is a really different picture than it was nine months ago, just in the sense of um, what our average monthly giving is and also what our projection is on how long reserves would last if we did have to use them. And so thank you for that, and praise God for that. And, uh, and I hope it does encourage you to hear that this morning. Aside from those announcements, we're in Ephesians 4, and that's really what this time right now is about. So if you want to be turning there on your devices, in your Bibles. I know that Ephesians 4 is too long, like it has too much content for us to deal with every detail. And I went back and forth like 47 times this week as far as do we cut this in half and do half the chapter and half the chapter another week. And I thought about doing that, but I hate breaking it up like that. So I'm going to read the whole chapter and I'm, you know, since Ephesians 4 is too long, I'm going to go ahead and grab the first two verses of chapter 5 too and, and add them to it. Um, but we're going to read through 5 too. I'm going to read that whole section, but don't feel pressure that we've got to cover it all this morning. If we need to come back in a couple of weeks and pick back up, we will. I've just got two main things that have stood out to me that at the end I'll focus on some out of this chapter. But aside from that, so whatever you hear God saying to you, I want you to share. And what we do cover this week, great. What we don't cover, we'll come back and grab in a couple of weeks. Next Sunday, uh, one of our other elders, Adam Alm, is going to be teaching for us out of the Gospel of John again. And so uh, if you want to read John chapter 9 this week in advance for that, um, it's going to be a really good Sunday morning. A group of us got to meet together a couple weeks ago and text through John 9 together, and I'm excited about the things that God's already been showing us in that. So that'll be next Sunday, and then we'll probably be back in Ephesians 4 the Sunday after that. But right now, I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to ask you that you would pray with me, that God will teach us right now, that the Spirit would do the type of spiritual work and spiritual teaching that only He can do, the, the type of, when we read that prayer in Ephesians 1, of, of enlightening our hearts 
opening the eyes of our hearts to the truth of who God is and the things that he's saying to us this morning and working in us to make this true of us as he builds us up as his people in his church. And so if you'll pray that with me, and then I'm going to read chapter 4, and I'm going to ask you to be listening first and foremost for what does this teach us about God, and then as we see those truths about who God is, What's God saying to us? If that's who he is, if that's the truth about him, what's he want to say to us individually and as a church this morning? So that's where we're headed. Uh, let's pray together right now. Father, thank you for this time right now. And we pray, Father, that this will be a time where you work and not us. That it will be a time of your spiritual power and your grace and not our effort and our abilities. We ask you to teach us right now by your spirit from your word as only you can. Open up the truth of your word to us and open us up to the truth of your word so that we are shaped and changed and built up into your church the way that you desire. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All right. What's that teach us about God? What stands out to you this morning? So John's pointing out the word therefore here, and this is one of the two things I wanted to focus on. I thought I would do it at the end. I guess I'll do it at the beginning. <laughs> no, it's great, because it is the first thing here. I almost started here. I was like, hey, I want to say this before we start to set the context for the whole chapter, and then I thought, no, I'll let y'all do this without me like poisoning the well at all. So this therefore, you know, we've spent three chapters, Ephesians 1 through 3 is in some ways, some of the deepest, heaviest, richest theological teaching about God that you can get in the Bible. I mean, it's been like just massive truths about God piled on top of massive truths about God. This is who God is. This is what God has done in the gospel. This is the eternal plan that God has launched from before the foundation of the world and how it's playing out through the church. As he builds the church and creates this people who belong to him in Jesus and what he's accomplishing with that, not just in the world, but in the heavenly realms, that it would be seen who he is, his grace and his love and the gospel, and he'd be praised for his wisdom to the praise of his glorious grace. This huge picture for three chapters. And then we come and Paul says, I therefore, and it really is here that, that I would want you to see that two things. First of all, Everything that comes from here on out, there is a shift in the book where there's a lot of practical stuff. There's a lot of application here for this is how you should live. This is who you should be as God's people. But notice how significant it is that that comes after who God is. It's three chapters of this is who God is, and because of who God is, therefore live this way. And the reason I emphasize that so much is because that is the thing that we miss most often in, in the way that Christianity is different from every other religion in the world and the way that Christianity is different from what we would naturally think and do. Like with everything else in the world, we start with us. This is who you need to be. This is what you need to do. And if you're good enough, if you earn your way, if you prove how good you are, then you can get to God. And Christianity flips the whole thing and says, no, it doesn't start with you. It's not about you. It starts with God, and you need to know who God is. And when you know who God is, everything else flows out of that. Like, the structure of this entire letter is actually why we do what we do every Sunday morning here. It's why we would say, we've got to start with who God is. That if, if we see who God is, who God is will define everything else for us. It will define who we're supposed to be. It'll define what we're supposed to do. It'll define who the church is supposed to be. It'll define how we're supposed to relate to the world. Who God is will define everything else for us. And if we miss that, like if we, if we jump past that and we start with us, the problem is we've already started in a place that isn't the starting place. Like we've already shifted off of the foundation. We're already off-center. And when you're off-center, it doesn't matter where you go from there, you're off-center, <laughs> You're not on the foundation. You can't build anything when you're not on the foundation. So you have to start with who God is. That, that would be one thing. Now, the second thing, and John said this, that is really significant, is that knowing God, like knowing the truths of these first three chapters aren't just, okay, I've tucked that away in my brain. I've got some religious information. I'm smarter now as a Christian. I know more about God. That's what, that, that was the point. That's not the point. It's not that you would know information about God. It's that you would know God in such a way that who God is changes you. This is a personal relationship with this God where you encounter him in such a way that the encounter you have with him is changing who you are. And we aren't talking about just know what these three chapters say about God. 
We're saying, no God. Like, this is who he is. These aren't just facts about him. This is him. This is who this God is. And if you know him, he will be changing you. He will be making you more like him. And so there is, you can use the word expectation if you want, but it's almost more of an assumption of Paul's. That, hey, if you really encounter God, it's going to change you. And so then one of the warnings for us as religious people who do religious activities and show up in a church on Sunday mornings, one of the warnings for us is if you keep coming every single week and you know more and more and more stuff about God and you fill your head up every week with this information about God and you never change, it's a warning that maybe you haven't encountered God. Because if you have, He will change you. And I don't mean instant perfection. I don't mean perfection any time in your life, right? I mean this constant walk. like not, not a state of perfection, but a walk with him, a relationship with him, an ongoing relationship where he's continually changing you. Day after day after day, you're getting to know him more deeply and personally and intimately. And because of who he is, he's shaping who you are. So all that's built into therefore, but then there's one more huge thing built into it. Like the entire gospel is built, this first verse and this last verse. And look how both of them work. Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And I'll tell you what, keep that one in mind. Go all the way to the bottom with me. Chapter 5. And he does it three more times down here at the end of 4 and the beginning of 5. Verse 32 forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. If I could summarize the whole thing for you this morning, if you want Christianity on one hand, and then you want every other religion in the world on the other hand, you want natural tendencies, worldly wisdom, your flesh, what you naturally think, what I naturally think, the way we all operate with one another, the way that we assume we have to operate with God, the way we wrongly believe that God operates with us. If you want to roll all that into one big pile and say, here's everything other than Christianity, other than the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christianity, Christianity is a because religion. Everything else and what's natural to you and the way you will operate unless the truth of the gospel penetrates your heart and mind is a so that approach to life. And what I mean is what we would hear up here in chapter 4 verse 1 is walk in a manner worthy of your calling so that you will be called. Walk in a manner worthy of God so that God will call you. And what we would hear down here is love one another well so that God will love you. Obey God so that God will choose you. Forgive one another so that God will forgive you. Do this so that God will, that you do something and what you do affects what God does for you. It's the way we relate to one another and it's the way we assume we relate to God. And Christianity flips the whole thing on its head. I'm down here at the bottom, so start at the bottom. Notice that he says, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, because God already forgave you. It's not if you forgive, you'll get forgiven. He already, past tense. He already forgave you. So forgive because he forgave you. Walk in love as Christ loved us. It's not if you walk in love, then Christ will love you. Right? It's not walk in love so that Christ will. It's walk in love because Christ loved you already. Already gave. He's not looking at you and like, hey, if you walk in love and you convince me that you're going to be good enough and you'll be worth it, then I'll give myself for you. He already gave himself for you. He already loved you. He already did everything that needs to be done. So you now do this because of what he's already done. Do you see the difference there? That his work is coming first. And his work is producing something in us. What we do is a response to what he's done, not the other way around. You're not initiating something and doing something, and he's responding to you like, oh, well, yeah, look look how love-worthy they are. I guess I'll love them. (laughs) 
That's not the gospel and it's not Christianity. He looked at you when you weren't worthy of love, when you hadn't earned it, when you hadn't done anything. And he said, I love you anyway. I love you first. And because I love you, be changed by my love and let my love flow out of you and flow through you as Christ has already loved you and gave himself up for you. Now you love one another. Give yourself for one another. As Christ has already forgiven you. Now you forgive one another. And back up here at the top, to which you have been called already. He's already called you. He's not waiting to decide. You know, it's not that you line up in gym class and it's like, okay, hey, day one, we're going to have everybody play open gym and everybody watch and see who's the really good players and who's not. And then we're going to pick. And if I think that you're good enough, I'll call you to be on my team. That's not how this works. That's how it works in the world. I know that. That's not how it works with God. He said, I'll call you first, and then I'll make you worthy of the calling you've received. I'll put you on my team, and then I'll come live in you and make you worthy of being on my team. Do you see that? Like, do you see? And do you see that it's not just these verses? It's built into the whole book. He doesn't start with, hey, do this, and then you can know God and have a relationship with him. He starts with, this is who God is, and you can know him and have a relationship with him. And when you do, he'll change you and you'll do this. It's not do this so that you can know God. It's do this because you know God. Do this because of who God is. Do this because of what God has already done. Do this because of what God is doing inside of you. And it's the difference in everything in the whole world. The, the so that religion... <laughs> It's exhausting. <laughs> because what you do is never enough. It's never enough. And even more, the so that religion, you can't do it. Like if it's you have to live worthy of God calling you so that he'll call you, you're not getting called. Right? How many of you have successfully lived worthy of God calling you? <laughs> Good job. <laughs> My hand's not up, by the way. Like I'm an utter failure. It doesn't work. You can't do it. It's never enough. It's exhausting. And then also, just imagine for a minute that you could do that. What's the end result of your life? Hey, God chose me because of me. God chose me because I was good. I did what I needed to do. I earned that. I'm, I'm here, like eternally in heaven. I'm here because of me. Praise to me. And do you see that even if you could do this, the end result would be the corruption of your entire life because your life would be about you instead of God and your life would be for your glory instead of God and the end of your life would be to your praise instead of God's and you were created for his glory. So even if you found a way to do this apart from him, you would be sinning in everything you did because everything you did would be for your own glory and not for his. Like he has built the gospel in the only way that you can do everything you do and it be about him and for him and for his glory, and that is by relying on him through faith. Christianity is because, because of Jesus, because of God's grace, because of what God has already done. And I, as I was thinking about this one, um, I think this is a, a good illustration. And if it helps you, great. If it doesn't, throw it out because you can just read chapter 4, verse 1, and chapter 4, 32, and 5, 1, and it's there already. But it's like the relationship between the sun and the moon. And we even get that wrong. You know, it was a full moon this past week, and I'll walk outside sometimes and, and look at the moon, and sometimes I'll think, look at how bright the moon is. Do you know the moon's never bright? Ever? The moon's a big old rock, and it produces no light. The moon is bright because of how bright the sun is. And really what ought to happen, like if we could think right, we can't think right about hardly anything when you really stop and, and think about it. But what ought to happen if we were thinking right is I should walk out and I should look at that full moon and I should say, my word, how bright must the sun be if it can make a rock shine like that? 
God has chosen a whole bunch of rocks. <laughs> and he said, I'm so bright in love and grace that when it shines on these rocks, they'll reflect my love and grace. And when that starts to happen in you, people aren't going to look at you and say, look how bright their love and grace is. They're going to say, how bright must the love and grace of God be if it can reflect off of rocks like this? If his love and grace can hit hard hearts like this, and this is what pops off of those hard hearts and it changes them, and they become a source of love and grace, what must he be like? That's the goal for your life, that people would see how bright the sun is. But how often do we live like the real goal is, I want people to think I'm bright. I want people to walk out and look at the moon and all they think about is the moon. Forget the sun. I'm going to try real hard to be really bright. That's not what you were made for. You're made to reflect Him. He's the source. He, you're not the source of anything. And it's okay. He's not asking you to be the source of anything. Do you realize that? Like from the day he made you, he knew you weren't the source of anything. He didn't intend for you to be the source of anything. He intended to give you everything that you need because he has it all and he's the source of everything. And that's the right relationship with him. That he's pouring out in grace and generosity and abundance and love and we're receiving and then not receiving in a way where we hoard and keep it for ourselves but we do what the moon does rightly we reflect it off of ourselves that other the love that he pours onto us bounces off of us and other people encounter it the grace that he gives to us bounces off of us and other people encounter it but it's still his love and grace it's still coming from him and and what we have to do like our job all of chapter 4 here is to be in alignment with him in such a way that it bounces off of us. Because you know what part of the moon you never see? There's a part of the moon where you're never like, hey, look how bright that moon is. We call it the dark side of the moon. <laughs> it's the side of the moon that never sees the sun, that doesn't face the sun, that doesn't encounter the sun, that isn't exposed to the sun. It has nothing to offer in terms of light. And so your whole life really does rise and fall on this. Are you encountering God? Are you exposed to God? Is the love and grace that constantly flows from God because it's His very nature, the way that light and heat flow from the sun, love and grace and mercy flow from God. Are you in line with that and receiving that and reflecting that? Or are you turned away? Are you turned away into the darkness, away from the source, and there's nothing for you there except a hard heart that has no light to offer anybody? And so everything you read in chapter 4, yes, we're supposed to live this way. This is who we're supposed to be. The only way you will be this way is if you know who God is and who He is is impacting you. You are encountering Him in such a way that who He is is reflecting off of you and you really are being the image of God that you were created to be. So yet do it all, but do it all because... <laughs> Do it all because of the gospel. Do it all because God's already done it for you. Do it all because God's doing it in you. And it's, it's just an entire world different from what we walk in and naturally do. And we can so quickly poison Christianity and reduce it to something less than the supernatural religion that it is and turn it back into every normal human worldly thing where it's your effort and your ability and you trying to do this and your self-will and your discipline and it's all about you. And you're not reflecting him anymore. All that's the word therefore. <laughs> that's my time though. That's not his fault. Like I really wasn't going to say that at the end. So you still got plenty of time. We'll come back to a few more things later. What else stands out to you? Truths about who God is. You dare. Go ahead. Yeah. Because of the point to what he had just written about who God is, who Christ is, and therefore that is how we are to conduct ourselves. Yeah, and thanks for saying that, Chris, because this isn't just Ephesians. You know, I know we're in Ephesians, I'm talking about Ephesians, but actually every letter Paul writes 
is structured the same way. Like it's not accidental. It's not a one-time thing. There's always this truth about who God is. And then therefore, here's who you're supposed to be as his people. Here's who God is as a starting place. And then because of who God is, here's what that means for you. Here's how that plays out in your life. And that is why I'm, I'm asking us to do that week after week. And that the foundation for everything that we would do as a church and as individual followers of Jesus would be, this is who God is, therefore, because the Bible's built that way. Like the New Testament, when it's, when it's addressing the church, that's the way that it's built. And Chris is right, there's all kinds of therefores, because, so that. If you want to start reading some of these letters, and listen, some of them are really, really short. I know I talk long up here, but you could read Ephesians in 15 minutes. You can read Philippians probably in 10 or 12 minutes. You can read Colossians in 10 or 12 minutes. You can read that whole letter. And if you want to zoom in on the therefores and just notice over and over and over how it's always when he gives you be something, it's because. Because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done, because of who you are now in Jesus. And any time that he gives you a so that, it's God has done this for you so that. God is the so that, right? He, he does things first so that this will happen in you. You do things because of him. And Chris is right. It's, just, it's all across the New Testament. So it's not just this one section of Ephesians, but it's really, really clear. This kind of dividing line of one through three is solid. This is who God is. Four through six is because of who God is. Here's the application for us. And we'll keep seeing it in these chapters. What else do you want to add? You have to be patient. Just as general application. Yeah. So, and, and we can, you know, you, as soon as we get the verse one right and the end of it right, you start seeing all these things. And, and here's what you see with all humility. Who has ever been more humble than the king of kings who gave up his place and his power and his prominence and became nothing, became a servant? became poor, became rejected and despised and ultimately died on a cross. Like, because of who he is, and he now lives in you, with all humility, nobody's ever been more gentle with sinners and failures and broken people than Jesus was when he was on earth. Patience. Do you know how patient God is with you? Do you know how many times you have not gotten it and he hasn't written you off and he hasn't been done with you and he hasn't turned away and said, just forget it, I'll go somewhere else? Do you know how many times he's just come back over and over and over and the more that you've missed it and the farther gone you are, the more relentless he's been and I'll come find you, I'll come get you, I'm going to find a way to show you. Just his patience and coming after you. Bearing with one another. And this is really the same for what I was just talking about. In love. Where he's like, yeah, I, I know how badly you've blown it. I know how awful you are. I know how rotten you are. I know you've got nothing to offer right now. But I love you. This is chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. He has continued to bear with you and not give up on you and not turn away from you, even when you've turned away from him. And he's saying, and so if that spirit now lives in you by faith, this is what you should be living out towards others. What else stands out to you? Awesome. So this is my point two for the morning. So, hey, here we go. God put us together in the body as, and Phil, I don't know if I'm putting this in the exact same order you did. You can change something if you want to. God put us together in the body as different parts with love. Holding us together as one body. I know that's, I wrote that out a little bit long, but every single section of that's really significant. God put us together in the body as different parts with love holding us together as one body. And I, and I want you to see this, the flow for a few verses. And if you just want to put this up on the screen and 
get my face gone for a little while because we're just, I'm going to walk straight through here and just mark on this. And, and notice the, the two aspects that Paul emphasizes side by side here. He starts here with, okay, you know, because of who you are in Jesus, you should maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And remember, he's been this whole thing of, hey, God's taken Jews and Gentiles, people who are so far apart, and made them one. Like he's created one people united in Jesus. And so that's what he's continued to emphasize here. He's like, there's only one body. Like ultimately, when we're talking about the universal church, there's one body, one church, one body of Christ, one spirit. There's not a different Holy Spirit for every local church that forms. It's the same Holy Spirit. Like if we're really followers of Jesus, really united to Jesus, the spirit of Jesus is the one living inside of us, then we all have the same spirit living inside of us. And he points out because there's only one hope that you were called to. There's only one gospel. There's only one way to be made right with God. There's only one message that can save you. There's only one Savior, and his name's Jesus. Like it's, it's all the same for everyone, everywhere, all the time. This one, and so if that's what you believe in, you believe in the same thing, and you're already united in the most fundamental and foundational truth that you could believe. One Lord, right? one Jesus, one faith, one baptism, baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That you aren't baptized in the name of Friendship Community Church or whatever other church it is that pastors and priests and popes don't have the authority over baptism. This is the baptism that Jesus has given to his church. It's a believer's baptism into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And when you're baptized into Jesus, you're baptized into Jesus with every other person who's ever baptized into Jesus. And that word baptized means immersed, immersed in Jesus. Your life plunged into his life. You immersed into him so that he becomes your life. You share in his death. You share in his life. And everybody else that dies with him and lives with him, you live together with them now. No. Like that, that's the unity that we have in Jesus. Because there's only one God. And when Jesus is making you right with God and Jesus is making me right with God, he's making us right with the same person because there's only one God. And that God's the father of all. Your father, my father. He's over all, through all, and in all. Wherever you want to go, you want to go above everything, God's there and there's only one God there. You want to go in the midst of everything, God's there and he's the only one who's there. All the, everything that's ever been done through him. You want to look for the source of everything, God's there and he's the only one who's there. So, I mean, Paul is hammering this first part of what Phil said where it's like we're together. One, 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 one. Right? Not, not many different bodies, not many different churches, not many different faiths, not many different messages. And this is, this is also one of the most dangerous things if we call ourselves a church and our message is something other than the gospel of Jesus, if our main focus is something other than Jesus, if we build a kingdom that isn't the kingdom of Jesus, if we even claim to own baptism in a way that isn't baptism into Jesus, then we're not one with the church in that moment. Like, this isn't mine and it's not yours. It's his. And it's not our name and it's not my name and it's not the name of this church. It's his name. And it's so easy for us to call ourselves a church and build all these other things that aren't this. Like, when it's this, we are one with everyone in all of world history who has it's been this for them. We're one with them. And when it's not this for us, we're separated from them. And even worse, we're separated from him. Because this is the only one there is. Jesus and his gospel building his church for his purposes and the glory of God. And anytime we're doing anything else off base from that, we're, we're disconnected from the only thing that really matters. So, one, 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 one. But, verse 7, now he shifts gears to the second half. But, even though all one, all united, unity does not mean, in the body of Christ, unity does not mean sameness. It does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that you've got to look like me, talk like me, dress like me, think like me. Nothing. Look, one of me is too much sometimes. All right? We don't need any more of me. Grace was given to each one. So all united, but then grace to you. Grace to you. Grace to you. Grace to you. Grace to me. Grace to you. Grace to you. Like individually, each, like each, each individual member or part that he brings to this body, he's given grace to that one for the good of the whole body. Like you are here for a reason. 
for the good of his body. You have a purpose from him. And, and I'm not talking right now about natural talents, abilities, what you bring to the table. It's not like we're sitting like, ooh, this would be really good for this. this you, know, the, you know, we usually form stuff. They're really good with money. Let's put them on the finance committee. They're really good with this. It's not, we're talking about a supernatural spiritual work of Jesus where he gives you gifts of grace that the body needs. And uniquely, in your relationship with him, he's giving you unique expressions of grace that we all need. This, this right here is another reason why I feel really certain in my conviction that I want us to keep coming together and me or somebody else that just stand up here and talk all the time. God has things to say to this body sometimes that don't need to come through my mouth. Through e Grace to each one. The Spirit may have something to say to us today through you, and I at least want to have an environment where we say, if that needs to happen, let's let it happen. And I know my role, they're going to get to teachers, and my role as a teacher is, that, yeah, I need to have some things prepared to teach probably. <laughs> I need to have prayed through this passage and looked through it and be ready to say the things God leads me to say. But I don't need to assume that I'm the only one, the only mouthpiece. Grace to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. So that these are, this is gifts to the church, gifts to each individual member of the church as a gift to the church. And then... Therefore, here's one of those therefores John was talking about. Paul points back now to the Old Testament and quotes it for a minute. It says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then he points out just the gospel here of the only way he could ascend back on high is because he came down to be with you. He lowered himself. He condescended. He humbled himself, humiliated himself to come down to earth. And now he's gone back to the heavens that he might fill all things, and the one who fills all things, the one who has everything and fills everything is the one giving you these gifts for the good of the church. That's what he's done for his church. And so then, here's part of the gifts that he gives to the church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, and probably that one, shepherds, by the way, is pastors. Same word in Greek. And you notice that you've got... The, 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 and then the shepherds and teachers. There's not another the there. A lot of people think that should be like hyphenated, like pastor, teacher, shepherd, teacher, that the main role of the pastor in the church is to teach. But each of these are, if you notice, they're, they're speaking and leadership roles. He gave, he gave these gifts to the church. He put people in these roles to teach. Why? All right, why did Jesus give these gifts? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So let's start there. Jesus has not given teachers, leaders, pastors, elders, staff to the church to do the ministry. I know that's as countercultural as it can be. But you haven't hired your staff to minister to you. Jesus gave teachers, leaders, pastors, elders, like this leadership group to equip the church, to build, because the body, the body has the grace and gifts of Jesus given to it, and he intends for the entire body to be doing the ministry of Christ. So that and again, when, when I'm up here, or when any of our other teachers are up here, I do have this in mind. Like I want to be more faithful to this than I've been many times in my past, in the sense that in the past, I approached it a lot of times, like my job was to come up here and teach and give you information, and I was supposed to be a good teacher. But that's not my job not according to the Bible. My job is to equip you that you leave more able to do the work of the ministry. And that's why my hope is that we're teaching in a way that doesn't disconnect you from what goes... Like, you don't leave and say, I could never do that. If you leave saying, I could never... Like, I don't ever see... I, I can't... If, if he says it, I see it. But like, if I do something up here that can't be duplicated and reproduced in your life, we're not doing what this says right here. You should walk away from this morning and say, I'm more equipped to go do the ministry of the church. 
I'm more equipped to make disciples. I'm more equipped to study the Bible on my own. I'm more equipped to study the Bible with other people. I'm more equipped to help people see the truth of who God is. That we would be really intentional and deliberate about teaching in a way that allows you to do that because it says that's what we're supposed to do. And that's really all that matters, right? This is what it says, and it says it clearly. And just keep reading now, and it gets even more clear. So we're supposed to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. And I'm, I'm, I've got an assumption here about what's built in. I think it comes straight out of the text, but if you don't think it does, we can talk about it later. I think what he's saying here is if the teachers don't equip the body for ministry, the body won't be built up. There won't be spiritual maturity, spiritual growth in the body. Now, there may be lots of other things that we can point to and measure that we like to say, oh, that's, you know, this is growth, this is building up, this is success. But say, no, this is the way it's supposed to happen. That when the teaching of the word is used to equip the saints for the ministry, the body's built up. This is how Jesus, Jesus said, I will build my church. Right here, he's saying, here's how. I will build my church. Keep going. What type of building up does he want? What does he have in mind? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And you see it again here, right? Like oneness in believing the truth about God and oneness in knowing who Jesus is, knowing God. Exactly where we started. That we would all be on the same page. If somebody asks you, who is God? We may not use the same words, but we're given the same answer, and it's growing out of what we've been taught from the Word by the Spirit. That this is the essence and the definition of who we are as His people and His church. That we know Him, that we're united in the truths that we believe about who He is. We're united in our relational knowledge with Him, our experience of Him, and we know that this is who He is, and this is what our message is. So we grow up to mature manhood, adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Like, how long? How long should we keep doing this? Until every single one of us is fully like Jesus. <laughs> We're going to be doing this until you're not breathing anymore, okay? Till I'm not breathing anymore, till you're not breathing anymore. <laughs> until every single one of us grows up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We, that's why I said this is a lifelong journey. This is the rest of our life needing to be reminded and taught more deeply over and over and over. This is who God is. And in the wonder and awe of who He is, it's impacting our hearts and changing us and making us more like Him. So that the result of when the, when the Word and the Spirit are producing this in you, here, here's what's going to happen in you. You won't be children anymore. You won't be spiritual infants. You won't be spiritually immature. And look at the way he defines children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You should be able to go out and hear anything the world says. Facebook, Instagram, all the lies that are spit at you through social media and advertising and the media, all the worldly assumptions and foundations that are behind their arguments. And there ought to come a point, every TV show you encounter, every lyric you hear on the radio, even if it's on Christian radio, maybe especially if it's on Christian radio, Keith and I talked about this this week, you ought to be able to hear it and be like, that's not the gospel. There's something else sneaky. This isn't true. And instead of it pulling on you and you being like, well, that sounds right, that's shaping me, that's influencing me, that's pulling me in this direction, instead of that, it should double and triple your resolve of that's a lie and this is the truth. And I know the truth now. I'm grounded. Like, I know who God is. I know who he's revealed himself to be in Jesus. I know what the, the foundational gospel truth is. And I'm not going to be shaken from it. There's nowhere else to go. I'm not moving anywhere. That the gospel should speak to everything you encounter. Everything that claims to be a truth, everything that claims to be an argument, everything that would shape your mind and your heart in any way, that the gospel's always answering it. And listen, it works in both directions. Um, we just watched uh, the Star Wars movies with the girls. It seemed like they were 
old enough so we gave it a whirl and it worked out just fine. You know, like, quick rabbit, you need a break anyway. I've been ranting for a long time. So Return of the Jedi was the first movie I ever watched in the theater, and I was either two or three. I was way too young. Like, I love my parents, and Dad, if you're listening later, thank you for taking me because it was awesome. But I shouldn't have gone when I was that young. Right? He took me and my cousin. We were the same age. My cousin was so scared of Jabba the Hutt that he bawled his eyes out and then, and then went to sleep. Like He slept the rest of the movie because he was so scared. I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. Like I started pretending I was Luke Skywalker and climbing trees and like falling off backwards. Um, somehow I didn't ever break an arm. But, so I loved it. I was ready for the girls to watch it. But one of the things we try to do... And, when I give you an example like this, we don't do it perfectly. I don't do it perfectly, but it really is something I try to be mindful of. If it's helpful to you, that's great. Is even when we're watching stuff like that, it's where do you see the gospel in this? And where do you see the anti-gospel? And so, avoiding spoiler alerts, I mean, my word's been out forever. It's, just in case your kids are in here and you haven't let them watch it yet. These moments where people give themselves up for somebody else, moments of forgiveness, moments where grace does something in somebody's heart that years of war and years of, of hatred and years of declarations hasn't been able to do, those kind of moments are worth saying, like, do you see that what he did right there was what Jesus did for us? Do you know why this grips your heart? Like, do you know why you love this story? Because it's echoing the story. That, that's why Star Wars has been famous. It's why Harry Potter's famous. It's the same kind of themes. And I would say that it's probably more productive for you, like, instead of hating those things, to meet people where they are and say, let's use this to talk about the gospel. And in the very same time, when you see characters... Uh, if you don't know Star Wars, I'm sorry, but this is just the illustration that's happening right now. So... Not the first three movies that came out, you know, episodes four, five, and six, but the next set, like actual episode three, when the whole turn to the dark side really, really happens, there's this moment where one of the main Jedis has a chance to not kill the Emperor. Do you all remember what I'm talking about? And it's actually his decision of, no, I'm going to extract justice, and in my wrath, I'm going to kill. That's the final thing that pushes Anakin to the dark side. Do you remember that? That's also a great moment of, Hey, what the Jedi's actually believed is a whole lot of the gospel, but in this moment, he didn't believe the gospel. And do you see? Do you see what it looks like? Do you see what our wrath and anger brings about? And all of that to say, even when you're out here encountering whatever you're encountering in the world, do you hear the gospel? Do you know the gospel? Are you grounded in the gospel? And it is, like, and I know I made that offhand comment about songs on Christian radio. Some of them are just gospel-saturated. And it's like, here's, here's the great message of that. But others are me-centered, and I'm going to do this. And, and here's, here's what I'm doing. <laughs> and when you hear those, it's like, this, is, this isn't Christianity. To have those conversations in your family, to have those conversations with your friends, because this is, this is what it looks like to be growing up into maturity in the body of Christ, that we're grounded in the truth of who God is and the truth of the gospel. And that's the next verse. Rather... Speaking the truth in love. And I want to zero in right here. Because remember what he's talking about. He says, okay, these teachers have been given, these various offices of teachers have been given to the church to equip the whole church for the work of the ministry so they'll all grow up into maturity. And so he says, here's what maturity looks like. It's not when the teachers are doing all the talking anymore. It's not when the view of the church is, well, hey, i got to bring somebody here on Sunday morning so they can hear one of the five or six people who can talk about Jesus. That's not Jesus' goal for the church. Do you see that right here? His goal is that every part grows up into maturity to the extent that every part is able to speak the truth in love. And so I'm, I'm going to say it one more time this morning. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That you could walk away and say, I can sit down with somebody and I can pray and ask God to speak. And we can read part of the Bible and we can ask, what's this teach about God? That you would be given a tool, that you would be equipped in a way 
that you can be what Jesus intends for his body to be. And then for you to realize that you have been given grace and gifts and God has placed you in a place in this world, like in your life, that none of the rest of us are there. None of the rest of us are exactly who you are. None of the rest of us are wired up the way that you are. None of the rest of us have the relationships that you have. God has you there to be that part of his body there. And we need you to do it. <laughs> it's what Jesus intends for his church. We will never be built up as the body the way that Jesus... Whatever happens on this campus, whatever numbers look like, whatever growth looks like, whatever programs we have here, whatever we can do here, we will never be the church that Jesus intends if the whole body isn't functioning this way and making disciples. And what we do is... Instead of just saying we'll be relentless in our focus on that, we substitute all that other stuff. And we're like, well, this is happening. This is, this is good. Let's do all this instead. I don't want to do this instead. I want to do what Jesus said. Like, I just want us to be his church. And so we say, we'll do this. And you know what? We'll do this again. And we'll do this again. And we'll do this again until all of us grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we'll just keep doing it. But really, for all of us, that you can speak the truth in love that you are reflecting the love and grace of God in such a way that you encounter people in the world the way that Jesus encountered people in the world. When you read the Gospels and you see the way that he interacted with sinners who are far from God, that should define how you interact with sinners who are far from God. That you love them that way and you speak to the truth to them that, the truth to them that way. And for all of us, personality differences, like some of you are like, I'm ready to speak the truth. <laughs> in love... And some of you, I just want to love people. I don't like controversy. I, I don't like confrontation. You've got to speak the truth. You've got to tell people the truth. And until we're growing into maturity in Christ, none of us will do this well, by the way. None of us. I manage to blow it in both directions pretty often. Just so you, like, I know I've, like, you're either this way or this way. Somehow I miss them both. Really, really off. It, it, it is only the Spirit living in you and bringing you to a place of maturity where you'll say hard things when you really don't want to, like when it wouldn't be natural and you'd rather avoid it. Avoiding it is the most selfish thing you can do. And so it takes a maturity and a grounding in the gospel to say, I'll say this even if they don't like it. And then to be able to speak the truth and it not come out of your flesh and not come from a place of arrogance and condescension and self-righteousness and judgmentalism, but really to come from a place of love where you give people the best chance to receive it. Like it takes a dependence on Jesus and the reality of his spirit living in you like it will never, ever come out of you naturally. When the body's being built up into maturity by the word and by the spirit, this is what starts to flow out of all of This is the picture. Like if you want, what's our vision? This is our vision, that we would be Jesus' church, that we would look like this. So speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then we get this unity again. The whole body joined together in him when each part is working properly. Like, do you, like, He's not content with anything less than that. You're part of his body. And he wants you to be what he's made you to be. He's attached you to the body for a reason. And he has a purpose for you. And he's giving you his gifts of grace to help you be that. And by that, when, when Jesus is doing this in each part, equipping us with grace to make us function the way we're supposed to function, that's when the whole body grows and builds itself up in love. That, and it's interesting, the builds itself up, Jesus is working through you as part of the body to build the body up in love. Jesus is working through me as part of the body to build the body up in love. Jesus is working through you as part of the body to build the body up in love. Like when Jesus builds his body, he builds it through his people. Like, you're the ones he's using. I'm the one he's using. I'm not equipped for that. You're not equipped for that. 
not on your own, but he offers, this whole section is he offers you what you need. He gives you gifts, he gives you teachers, he gives you his word, he gives you his spirit, and he's building up the body to be what he intends for the body to be so that the whole body will be grounded in the truth and then will go and speak the truth in love. This is the picture of the church. And I know it's really different from what our common mindset is when we just come to a place once or twice a week. But that's okay. When it's really different, that means, all right, what we do needs to change in certain ways. Our expectations need to change in certain ways. Our goals need to change in certain ways. When we think about, okay, yeah, we're here. We need to get here. Maybe where we've been trying to get isn't where we're supposed to be. It's like, okay, we're here. We need to get here. (laughs) And so let's shift in line with this. And some things may look different. Some things may feel different. If they're in line with this, let's just keep doing it. That's the first half of the chapter, and then he shifts in the second half to, okay, so here's how you live in relationship with one another. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. Um, I think seeing the main, the way it's framed, and because God's already done this, this is who you're going to be. His spirit lives in you. And then seeing, and when he lives in you, he's making you into his church, but not just whatever you think that would be. He's making you into his church, and this is what his church is. This is what his church is, not anything else. Nobody else gets to define it. Western civilization doesn't get to define it. North American church growth culture doesn't get to define it. It's not their church. It's not my church. I don't get to define it. It's not your church. You don't get to define it. He defines it. Jesus is the head. It's his church. He's the one building up his body, and he's the one. He handpicked you and attached you to his body for purposes to work through you for the good of the whole body. And the whole because so that thing, I'll go to one application. We're going to close right here, and we're going to worship together. When, uh, when Paul's listing all this stuff, verse 28 stood out to me when I was reading it this week and when I stood it again, read it again this morning. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. And I think for a lot of us, this is just, I want to show you how easy it is for worldly thought or natural fleshly thought to sneak in. What we'll usually say is, hey, if you're stealing, you're taking something that belongs to them for yourself. Stop doing that. Work so that you provide your own stuff for yourself. I think that would be a pretty... Natural thing for us to say. That's not what Paul says right here. Do you notice this? Like here's the gospel instead of the, the gospel's answer to stealing instead of the worldly answer to stealing. Let the thief no longer steal, so don't take stuff from them for yourself. Do honest work with your own hands so that what? You may have something to share with anyone in need. The gospel's never self-focused. Love is never self-focused. The love of God is never self-focused. He says, stop taking from other people for yourself and instead work so that you can give to other people. You don't take for yourself, but you also don't work for yourself. (laughs) You work to give to others. Why? Because this is what Jesus did for you. He certainly didn't take for himself. He didn't say, you're my subjects and I'm your king. You're my servants. Give me everything you've got and I'm going to sit up here on my throne and receive it all. He didn't take for himself. But he also didn't work for it. He didn't say, I'm going to fight for my rights. I'm going to fight to get what I deserve. What he said was, I will come and fight a war for you. I'll die a death for you. I'll give myself to you. This is the gospel. That love flows out to others. And Paul's saying, even right here, in something as practical as this, he's saying, this isn't just simple morality. Don't steal because it's wrong. Work hard because it's right. It's not that. It's don't steal because the selfishness in you is dying because there is no selfishness in Jesus. And work hard because generosity and grace is flowing out of you. That you're learning to love others and you want to share and give the way that your God has shared and given to you. The reason you don't steal is because of who God is. (laughs) Because of what he's done in the gospel. Because of who Jesus is. Because Jesus now lives in you. 
And so just see him over and over and over, see Jesus all over again, and just realize that he's defined everything this way. A God who in his very nature is love. A God who in his very nature gives and pours out grace, and he's claimed you as his own. He's called you to himself. He's called you his children and his family and his church and his body. And now he says, so you're mine, so I want to make you like me. Reflect me. And so love as he has already loved you. Give as he has already given to you. Forgive as he has already forgiven you. Show grace as he's already shown grace to you. Live in humility and patience and kindness and tenderheartedness and gentleness the way that he has already shown humility and patience and tenderheartedness and kindness to you. And as I list all that stuff and you think, I can't do it the way that Jesus does it. Good, you're right. You can't and I can't. And he doesn't ask you to. Not on your own. He says, I'll come live in you. Keep trusting me. Trust me today. Trust my spirit. Don't don't love with your love. Love with my love. That's what Jesus is saying. Let my spirit produce my love in you. Don't give with your resources. Give with my resources. Don't be kind and humble and patient with your kindness and humility and patience because it's just not good. Be kind and humble and patient with his kindness and humility and patience as he lives in you. When you really see what Christianity is, you see that Jesus is the only way it can be done. Jesus is the only answer. But he has given himself to you. The only way it could be done, he's given himself to you. The the only answer, you have it. You have what you need. He has given you what you need. He promises to be for you everything that he calls you to be. He promises to do in you everything he calls you to do. So believe him. Look to Jesus and believe him again today and believe him again tomorrow and believe him again the day after that. And every day, learn just a little bit more how much you need him and how much he is always there to be everything you need. Keep seeing who he is and keep trusting him. I'm going to pray that for us right now and then we're going to sing and worship him together. So let's pray together. Father, please make us your church. Make us your people. We confess that it is not in us apart from you that we cannot do this, we cannot live this out. But we know that you can. We know that you already have in Jesus, in his life on earth, perfectly lived it all out. And that in the wonder of all wonders in the gospel, you promise that the Spirit of Christ will come and dwell in us and you will make us your dwelling place, you will make us your home, and that you will live this through us. Father, manifest that in our lives, in our hearts, in your church. Please help us see you more. Help us believe you more. Help us trust you more. Help us be your church and your people and use us. Use us to make disciples. Build us up into maturity. Build us up into the fullness of the full measure of the stature of Christ. Build us up into a healthy body grounded in the truth of the gospel, laser-focused on who Jesus is and speaking the truth in love for your glory and for the good of everyone who needs to hear the truth of the gospel. Use us in that way, Father. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.